And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I, before, slow down, before whom I stand, there shall be not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, turn eastward, and hide by the book Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little cup of water that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go in and do as you have said, but make a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her, he and her household ate for many days. The tent bin of flour was not used up, nor the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now it happened after these things that the son of the, who, son of the woman who owned the house became sick, and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took out his arms, and he carried him to the upper room where he was staying, laid him on his own bed, and he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched out himself on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for tonight just allowing us the privilege of being in your house. And Father, uh, just continue to bless us. You've blessed us all day long. Uh, 
And we just ask that you continue to do that. Thank you for the good music we've had today. Thank you uh, for just the privilege of fellowshipping with one another as we gather to worship you. Thank you for your spirit moving in the morning services. And Lord, I just pray you'll continue to move among us tonight and let us do your will. And Lord, we'll be thankful and praise your name as we leave this place. In Christ's name, amen. One of the nursery rhymes that many of us learned when we were younger, I don't even know if they teach nursery rhymes anymore, was this one. I always thought it was rather sad. Old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to fetch her dog a bone. But when she came there, the cupboard was bare. And so the poor dog had none. As a kid, I always felt sorry for the dog. As an adult, I realized, feel sorry for Old Mother Hubbard. Her cupboard was bare. But Elijah the prophet finds out that God's cupboard is not bare. And he finds out after he warns wicked King Ahab that there's going to be a drought in the land until he says it'll rain. And that judgment was going to fall on Israel because Ahab had led them away to false idol worship and God had had quite enough. He told him to go to the book Cherith and there the ravens would feed him. And so... God brought the drought, Elijah had gone to Cherith, and then the brook dried up. And so he said, go to the widow of Zarephath. And there, even in all the trying situations, Elijah found out again, and the widow, that God is faithful. And what I want us to realize is, is that God is faithful, and his provision never runs out. His provision never runs out. But notice some things about this. First of all, notice the timing of God in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. His timing. You see, the timing is right when the water shuts off. You see, God had already promised him, You go hide because Ahab and Jezebel are going to find you. So you go hide by this brook, Cherith, way out in the wilderness that runs into the Jordan. There is going to be water for you to drink every day. And there while you're there, the ravens are going to come in. And they're going to feed you. And they brought him meat and bread in the morning and meat and bread in the evening. And he ate and he drank and God took care of him. But when we notice the time of God, notice God doesn't get in a hurry. Now, here's what I mean. Can you imagine every day as it doesn't rain? And Elijah watches that little stream get less and less and less. See, God doesn't get in a hurry. God knew what he was going to do. He just hadn't told Elijah yet. As a matter of fact, he don't tell Elijah until the thing dries up. Did you catch that? He's in no hurry. And a lot of times, what I've discovered is God's time isn't my time. It may not be our time. I think, God, you can do it now. God, you can do it now. Lord, it's getting late. God, come on. And he just says, it's not time yet. I can just see Elijah sitting there. Ravens are still coming. But the water, where's the water? It's leaving, God. God, is it time yet? But God's time is always the best time. We need to understand that. We need to learn that. When the appropriate time came, he sent to Elijah and said, Now you leave this brook and you go get some fellowship with the widow lady in Zarephath. She's going to feed you. All right? Now, 
We don't understand all of that, but you need to understand that Zarephath was in Sidon, okay? And Zarephath uh, was, the, was the seat of uh, where they worshiped Baal, which is what Jezebel had introduced to Israel, okay? And so he's going to perform miracles there using a widow that doesn't really know God to do his bidding. The timing of God is always the best, I was in my last year of seminary. I was in my last semester. Brother Creese and his pastors met every Monday morning praying me through Greek class. Because believe me, that's the only way I made it through Greek class. And uh, Elizabeth was expecting, was expecting our daughters. We'd find out because she'd had some trouble early on. that It was twins. She liked to faint it. I was going, yes, twins. And uh, I thought, Yes, twins, but I thought, man, I've got tests, midterms, finals, got to graduate, go look for a church. On and on it went, but we'll, we'll, we'll be okay. And then it happened. I get the note that Sunday morning that Elizabeth's having the babies at 28 weeks. And the doctor had already told us that they might not survive if they were born early because twins were usually weaker. And, and, uh. It was just something getting there and seeing it was little bitty three pound four ounce baby and a three pound thirteen ounce baby and they got wires sticking out everywhere and I'm thinking, Lord, what have you done? But you see, I came to learn later that it was God's time if we'd moved to where we moved to in Arkansas that He'd already prepared for it. The nearest hospital was over an hour away, and they weren't equipped to deal with preemies. The hospital where the girls were born was the best hospital for preemies in the whole southwest United States. I found out that God's time was best because when my professors found out about it and I'd missed so many uh, midterms, they just said, you just make them up, and they scheduled them. And, and I found out from talking to the other guys that evidently my professors must have took pity on me because my midterms were different than the tests they took, and mine were easier. <laughs> That's the truth. God's time is best. We approached graduation, and a, a month later, the girls were finally out of the hospital. And my wife finally quit crying all day because I'd take her in the morning to see the girls. I'd go back to school and work, and in the evening, I'd take her back. We'd stay until midnight, and then we'd start the whole process over. And the whole time she was home without her baby, she was crying all day long. And I was so glad when she quit crying. But see, the timing of God was best because not only did we have them at that hospital that was so good, it was a Methodist hospital. And they were done in me for a $50,000 bill for the girls being in the hospital. Now, I'm a seminary student. I've got a small West Texas church, and I'm working at the landscaping of the seminary, earning a minimum wage. I said, how do you expect me to pay $50,000? They said, we don't know, but you're going to pay it. And then all at once this chaplain found me. At the Methodist Hospital. He was a chaplain for the whole Methodist Hospital. He said, I hear you're a pastor. Yes, sir. He told him where I pastored and da-da-da-da-da. And he checked it out. Next thing I know, he comes to me about a week later and said, The board met and I presented your case. And we're going to excuse that $50,000. Did I pay the doctors, which was a chunk of change. But that was off my chest. And I realized God doesn't get in a hurry. His time isn't my time. But his time is always the best time. 
We need to understand that. The timing of God. We need to trust him that he knows best. And we need not to try to work, rush him. And we need to trust in his provision. The second thing that I looked at, or read part of it in verse 9, is the means of God. Because <clears throat> in verse 9, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. We need to understand that, that uh, God uses common things. God uses common people. He's thinking, how can a widow in a land that's also under drought provide for me, God? And we need to understand that God used the widow and provided for him the whole time he stayed there until God called him out of there to go back and tell Ahab, hey, it's going to rain, get ready. But see, God uses ordinary people and ordinary things, a little oil and a little flour to feed his prophet. He uses ordinary things to bless us today also. It's sort of like the little girl, her daddy was a sailor and her mama had run out of money and, and they were still looking for her to be home and, and she used the last of her flour and baked them all some biscuits and, and they kept eating those biscuits and eating those biscuits. Those biscuits were getting stale. Those biscuits were getting moldy and she was ready for some new biscuits. And her mama said, I don't know what to tell you. You just got to pray. And so that night she prayed, God, send us some better biscuits. And late that evening, as she's crumbling up the biscuits saying, I don't want to eat this, God. There's a knock on the door, and it's the local baker. And the local baker had a big old basket full of bread and biscuits and all kinds of fresh stuff, pastries. And he said, this was left over at my shop today, and I was going to wait till tomorrow to bring it to you. But something compelled me that I needed to bring it tonight. And the little girl said, praise God for good biscuits. Let's see, ordinary people used to do ministry. Ordinary things used to accomplish what God wants done. Sometimes we miss what God wants to give us because we're looking for some extraordinary flash of light, thunder, knock down like Paul or something spectacular. But God is leading us a different way in the quiet, ordinary things. And so the lesson is to be open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and minister to others in need in ordinary ways doing ordinary things. The third thing I see is in verses 10 through 12, look at the priority of God. <clears throat> the priority of God. This is really key in the whole passage. So he arose and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, and please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only one handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks and I go and pray uh, that we may eat it, my son and I, and die. You see, the next verse, Elijah says, don't fear. Go and do as you've said. Make a small cake for me first and bring it to me. And after, make some for you and your son. See, what is the priority of God? God has to come before self. It didn't make sense. She just told this guy, this, 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 this prophet, she just told him as she's gathering sticks that, that I've got a little flour, enough for me and my son. i got a little oil. I'm going to bake bread and we're going to die. And he said, nope, make me some first and then bake yours. Now, think about that. You've got your son. If anything, you would skip your meal and feed him for one extra day. But here's this guy. 
I mean, after being at the brook and being fed by ravens, he probably looked like a hobo, right? And he's telling you, look, God told me, you bring me my food first, and I'll not let your oil and flour run out. What are you going to do? See, God's priority is always first, see? And he comes before even family in our relationship to him. I didn't say neglect your family. I didn't say give up on your family or abandon your family. But I'm saying our priority is always our relationship with God, then our family, then our church, then our jobs. But we need to ask ourselves, do we keep those priorities uh, straight? You see, we see the picture of that in the Bible with Abraham tying up his only well-loved son, his only son, and he raised, because God told him to, to offer him on that sacrifice and raised that knife and was going to plunge it in till the Lord calls to him from a bush and says, don't harm him. And he saw a bush that God had provided a lamb, a ram in. You see, he was going to do whatever it took to obey God. Are we willing to do that? Do we place a priority? It's the hardest thing in our commitment to God, but to say, whatever you want, that's what I'll do. And so we have the priority of God and we have the promise of God it didn't make sense. Elijah says to her, you make a small cake and bring it to me. And afterwards, some for yourself and your son. But notice the promise in verse 14. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. Now remember, he's not in Israel. Remember, he's in a place where they worship Baal. The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went and did according to Elijah, and when she and her household ate for many days. You see, when God gives us a word, we know it's from, from him, and we have no doubt that he has spoken to our hearts, then we may not understand. It didn't make sense to go share everything you had with a stranger and then take care of your own, but... She just believed God and did what the prophet said. It may not make sense, but we're still called on, still called on to act on what God tells us. Let me put it another way. How many promises do we miss out on and blessings from heaven itself because we hear a word from God and we won't act on it? Well, that would make me look foolish. I can't do that. And we're more more worried about what people think than what God thinks. Right. Look at the provision of God, verse 16. He said, they ate on it for many, many days. And the flour was not used up. And the jar of oil did not run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. His provision was dependable. His provision was sufficient. His provision was exactly what they needed. Now, don't be like the lady who uh, was feeding her family and And every day she'd walk down to the creek and catch a fish. And every day she'd catch a fish and feed her family. And every day she'd catch a fish and feed her family. Until finally she said, Lord, I thank you for the fish, but I'm ready for something else. The next day she didn't catch a fish. Do we snub at God's provision? Do we think we ought to have something better? Do we think it's not enough? Do we think it's not good enough? Or do we accept it and say, thank you, God, for what you've done. It's sufficient and it's dependable. And we praise you for it. You know, it. Uh, now I, I'm guilty of this. Whenever the grandkids come home, whatever they want for breakfast is what they're going to get. Now, you understand if they want cake and ice cream, 
Papa's going to give them cake and ice cream until mom and daddy come down upstairs. Amen. Amen. That's my privilege. When they fuss at me, I say it's no different than you giving them donuts and orange juice. But you need to understand that sometimes they don't want cake and ice cream. They're tired of it. And they want something else. And so sometimes we make three or four breakfasts. Whatever they want, they get. And I never did that with my own kids. It was eat what you get or do without. Sometimes we treat God the same way. Well, I don't want that. Couldn't you make me this? Couldn't we change it up to here? Couldn't we do this or that? But see, God's provision is always dependable. It's always sufficient. Here a lady is, and she's getting ready to starve to death, her and her son. And the prophet comes in, and somehow that little bin of flour never goes empty. The little jar never goes empty with the oil in it. And she's got enough bread to fix and to make day after day after day. And the water evidently didn't run out either. Because God was doing it. But you see, even when you're doing what God wants you to, we talked about this morning, trouble can come. See, God's grace is still there. Look at verses 17 through 19, or 17 through 24. And it happened after these things. In other words, the widow and her son are being fed, right? The woman who owned the house became the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. His sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. In other words, he died. If you don't have breath, you die. Everybody understands that, right? Okay. So he said to Elijah, "What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have I you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son?" He said, "There, give me your son." So he took him out of her arms, carried him up to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his own bed. Cried out to the Lord and said, "O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son?" Stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, "O Lord God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him." So each time he went like this and bowed over to God over the boy. He kept praying that prayer. Let his soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, Come, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth. Not by the miraculous provision. Not by having bread and everything enough to feed us, but that my son, which is dead, is now alive. And what she's really saying is, I know you're a man of God, and your God is real. Amen. See, we need to ask ourselves about the grace of God. You see, even when trials come, we still are called to serve him. But his grace is sufficient as we serve him. In those trials. We need to ask. Do we have that kind of faith? You know. In the history books. They're now telling us. Christopher Columbus was not the first one. To land in America. I don't care. Do you care? I don't care. What I do know. Is what it took for him to get to the new world. He had tried again and again. Uh. To get ships for the new world. And turned down and turned down and turned down. He was finally in desperation. At his last uh, wits. He was uh, sitting in Grenada, Spain. By a fountain. 
uh, thinking about it, a monk came by and he shared it with the monk. The monk took a cup out, gave him a drink of water. They shared some more. The monk told uh, Queen Isabella, whom he served, he was her personal priest, uh, about Christopher Columbus. She told the monk to go find him, found him, brought him in. They had an audience with the queen and she financed the ships that allowed him to find the new world. Now You may say happenstance or you may say uh, luck. But see, he'd been praying and praying that God would allow him to find the new world. Now, after he found it, I understand some of the things he did weren't very Christian as far as the natives were concerned. But getting him there was all a work of God. At the last minute, when his crew was about ready to mutiny, they saw land. They thought they had hit the West Indies. Instead, they hit the New World. Okay? God's timing. God's purpose. God's provision. Do we trust in that? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're at the point where you need God to help you. You're at your wit's end. Maybe you, uh, it's a spiritual thing. Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's both. Maybe you just need God to reassure you that he loves you. And he's going to take care of you. But whatever it is, you need to trust God for what he wants to do in your life. You need not to rush ahead of him. You need to trust what he's doing. You need to trust in his provision. You need to accept his provision. And you need to praise him for it and give you grace through the midst of what you're going through. So if you need to come and join the church by letter today, if you need to come and surrender your burdens to the Lord, if you need to come and, and rededicate your life, if you need to come and be saved tonight, this invitation is for you. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to stand. Brother Ronnie's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation, and you come as you need to come. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you're about in our life. Thank you for providing for us and always meeting our needs. Thank you for walking with us through life's dark valleys. Thank you, Lord, that you're so gracious that you never leave us nor forsake us. Let us do your will during this invitation time. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.